Hello, I'm WGBH news reporter Adam Riley. It's Wednesday, August 6th, 2014, and you're listening to The Scrum. Each week on The Scrum Podcast, we talk about politics and media from Boston to the Beltway. This week, as you may hear in the background, we're coming to you from an unusual location. We're actually at the Somerville Market Basket because, as you've probably heard, there's a bit of a fight going on over who's going to run Market Basket in the years ahead. I was in there with uh, Peter Kadzis, who's joining me today of WGBHnews.org, our senior editor. David, did you make it in there? I, I haven't been inside this particular right. uh, market basket at this time. All but, right, so that's, uh, that's David Bernstein right there, <laughs> our WGBH political analyst and uh, a contributing editor at Boston Magazine. Peter and I were in market basket a moment ago. Uh, Peter, what did you make of what you saw? I have to say it was kind of emotional. I mean, I was really struck by the magnitude of this story. Intellectually, you know it's a big story. Thousands of people affected as employees, tens of thousands as customers, millions of dollars for the local economy. But to go inside and see all that empty shelf space, see the lack of customers, to see the few people who are still working. I talked to a couple of them. Um, well, what did they have to say? Well, they, they said they can't, they, can, they can't afford not to work, and they let their colleagues know that their families require. I'm a, I, I know that there's a big immigrant population that works here. We editors don't get out of the building that often. And I have to say, even though it's quiet here and all, um, the impact of the story is, is really much bigger than I thought. No meat on the shelves, no produce. I saw a, uh, a dearth of Chobani yogurt, which is one of the reasons that I go to Market Basket in Salem. Um, David, do you ever shop at Market Basket? I know you've been in it before, but you're kind of a Shaw's guy because you like their rising crust pizza, right? <laughs> I, I did tweet that, uh, that. That was just a random. I wasn't being paid for that endorsement, by the way. Uh, no, I'm not a regular. I have shopped there before at, at different times when I've lived in different places. I definitely get the appeal of it, and I know, you know, obviously how much it affects people, including people who don't shop regularly at Market Basket because they're uh, experiencing the overflow at, at at their places where they shop, and and obviously their neighbors who are affected, and and people they know who uh, who work there, and so forth. Yeah, well, let's. Oh, go ahead, Peter. No, I I just got a really good buy on gummy bears, <laughs> and I I bought a bottle of barbecue sauce for the ribs tonight and prices were really good let's talk about the politics of this market basket fight uh yesterday at a big rally in um i believe tuxbury I think. yeah the uh, the mayor of lowell rodney elliott uh kind of channeled his inner occupy agitator self and talked about how the people protesting to get arthur t demoulis reinstated as the ceo of the company were representing working people from new england to new zealand but Peter Kadzis, you think that there hasn't been uh, enough aggressive embracing of the market basket cause by politicians, right? Yeah, I, I mean, in a nutshell, this is an example. This is what Occupy was all about, or a big part of what Occupy was all about. But this is it in the working class, lower middle class context. Um, I'm amazed, and I understand these are delicate negotiations, but I am amazed that skillful politicians like the governor can't find a way to publicly signal their support for the workers and privately work to have something uh, come out. I mean, the, the number of jobs at stake is incredible. You, you know, if some small electrical subcontractor moved out of Cambridge, you know, it would be the front page of the local newspaper. This is tens of thousands of jobs that could disappear. David Bernstein, do you think that Peter is right that politicians are kind of treating this one gingerly as a rule? And if so, why? Well, I think that, that, uh, that that's true. I think there isn't, hasn't been enough, as, as much, I shouldn't say enough, but as much grandstanding as, as you might expect. 
there are exceptions. I mean, certainly uh, Barry Feingold, uh, who is running for state treasurer and whose district as a state senator includes, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the headquarters uh, for Market Basket. Um, he's been very active, you know, out at these protests, uh, including the one yesterday. Uh, and, you know, he's really been making a lot of hay over his embrace of the workers. Now, there's an interesting dynamic in that race because, of course, one of his uh, competitors in that primary is Deb Goldberg, who used to work for, uh, at an executive level, uh, Stop and Shop, and whose family was very much the Demoulas family of Stop and Shop. And there's some, I think, some discomfort on her part in, uh, in talking about it. She did talk to uh, a Globe columnist recently, uh, but sort of avoided taking a lot of uh, position and talked about, you know, her experience uh, with Stop and Shop. Uh, but uh, but getting back to, what, to what, what Peter was yeah, saying, I, I think that there's a little difficulty because it's not clear whose side is going to be best for the workers from the outside. You know, who, you know, what, you know, maybe some people might think that it's best if there is a leveraged buyout that pumps money into the into the system. Well, we do know that the uh, workers as a whole seem to think that uh, Arthur T. Is, absolutely. Uh, is the guy. Uh, but the other thing I was going to say is. The unions are not very clear on this one because the market basket employees are not embracing unions and, and, and uh, organizing, you know, because they just want their old boss back in the old conditions. Listen, no one's ever accused me of being an anarchist. If anything, I occasionally get tweets or uh, humorous emails accusing me of being a closet Republican. I'll wave my anarchist card. Everyone should be for the workers period. This this is a spontaneous, yes, I know there's behind-the-scenes stuff here. Uh, to me, it's really simple. You're behind the workers. I, I got to say two things really quickly. First off, the fact that, to my mind, the most memorable, sustained, organized labor action in my time living in Massachusetts is coming from a non-union, workers at a non-union yeah. company is one of the most fascinating parts of this whole story, one that I think doesn't really get talked about enough. But I also am a little baffled, Peter. I enjoy seeing your uh, inner anarchist flag fly, but I'm surprised that you would think that Governor Patrick, who in addition to being a lefty favorite, is a corporate lawyer who was at one point the counsel for Coca-Cola, that he would feel uh, obligated in any way to, you know, in a full-throated manner, side with the workers in this case. I mean, he's a guy steeped in corporate culture. I would be stunned if he were making common cause with the workers. You raise a very good point, very well put. Um, let's say I'm disappointed okay. that the governor hasn't taken a more imaginative role. And uh, there are times when you have to choose your camp. You're either for the workers or you're for the corporation. This is a day to be for the workers. I, I would also say that I think that, you know, what Peter said about, you know, sort of being more imaginative about how you you, you embrace it uh, would apply to the Democrats running for governor. And, you know, the Steve Grossman's and uh, Mary uh, Martha Coakley and, and yeah, Don Burwick, whoever, right? whoever they are. <laughs> um, so, um, but, you know, they could really be... Don Berwick's been out there on this, hasn't he? He has. And, and it's not that they haven't been, you know, making statements in support of the workers, but they could be out there saying... There are companies that try to run themselves with these positive ways, with good things towards the workers, but then these, you know, evil corporate boards come and, and strip that stuff away. That's why we need uh, protections from the state. That's why we need things like this, uh, you know, earn sick time uh, and, and so on and so forth. Right. David, very good point. This is a teaching lesson. This is a teaching opportunity. It's an historic one, and it's being squandered by public officials. 
just going to throw one idea out there. Feel free to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Could the, the political class in Massachusetts be a little ambivalent? Because remember what happened when Elizabeth Warren was running for Senate and said that in many ways she laid the foundation for the Occupy movement, and she just got hammered. It was one of the low points of what turned out to be an extremely well-run campaign. I wonder if that's sort of a cautionary tale. Apples and oranges a little bit, but not totally dissimilar. I wonder if people are afraid of getting too close to this uh, this issue, in part because we may see excesses. We've already seen perhaps some excesses from the protesters that could come back to bite a politician who makes common cause with them. Look, there's always powder kegs, you know, waiting when you get when you wade into something like this. You know, there could be a, a conclusion to it that comes out that sort of runs counter to what you've been preaching. Or, or the other thing is you can you can look like to to the protesters, to the people who are involved in this, you can look like you are trying to grandstand and politicize it, and they can lash back against you. So you do have to have some caution, I think, in how you approach it. All right, David Bernstein, we'll give you the last word on the politics of Market Basket. Peter Kadzis, I want to give you the first word on the question of who the Kennedy family is backing in the 2016 presidential race. There was an article in the New York Post recently which said that the Kennedy clan is split. Some of them want to see Hillary Clinton as the Democratic nominee, but some of them want to see uh, our recently mentioned uh, senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren, who I should note has said about a zillion times that she's not running for president. What's your take on this alleged split and whether if it exists, it really matters at all? Um, I think it's credible that it exists. I read the story by Ed Klein, who was sometime, he's sort of like the Kitty Kelly of politics. But um, th- this piece seemed to be well-sourced, and it, it just hit my gut the right way. The family members seemed to be breaking the right way. Um, I think it matters. I don't, I don't think it may matter an awful lot. I think um, I mentioned teaching moments a few minutes ago. It's illustrative, if you will, of um, the the two minds the Democratic Party seems to be. Now, you know, people who followed the scrum for a while uh, know that I've really been actively poo-pooing the um, uh, Senator Warren candidacy. You can't do that anymore. I mean, um, she has more than a million followers on Facebook. Um, She's raising loads of money. She's going around the country. That doesn't mean she's going to run, but she cannot be dismissed. There's a draft Warren movement underway and, and, and it's a real and it's a real movement all right david bernstein i saw you nodding your head when peter was talking what do you agree with him uh for the most part yeah i, I what i would say uh, one thing is that i think that it can matter i think that when you look back at 2008 it mattered a great deal that uh that the kennedys particularly ted kennedy along with caroline and others uh split with clinton with, with hillary clinton and and with the clintons uh to support Barack Obama and you know and in particular were very sort of aggressive you know if you look at Ted Kennedy's speech at the uh, convention that year you know his sort of farewell speech uh, when he was ill and uh, he made the very big point of of this being a time for people of his generation uh, to pass the torch along to the new generation uh, and that was very much a sort of we're past the Clintons now speech you know and and I think that his support of, of Hillary in the you know was very defining right, for, I, for Obama. I'm going to stop you right there, and then we'll, I'll let you finish your thought after. Yeah. But to state the obvious, as, as you alluded to, Ted Kennedy is deceased. And I don't see anyone, with all due respect to Joe Kennedy... Has who, who dead? Is, <laughs> yeah. With all due respect to Joe Kennedy, who I think is in many ways a very compelling figure. I, I really like the way he's acquitted himself running for Congress and as a congressman. But that being said, there's I don't see anyone in the Kennedy clan, including Vicki Kennedy, who has the kind of stature to make a big difference with the sort of speech that you're talking about Ted Kennedy giving in 08. But maybe I'm wrong. 
Well, and I think that that gets right to my second point, which is that that this is really uh, indicative of the post Ted Kennedy Kennedys. And, you know, I, I wrote about it back at the time, back at uh, a certain paper that, that we were all involved in, um, that uh, that with the passing of Ted Kennedy, there really was a sense that that the Kennedys were no longer going to be a unified force in, an, in politics in any significant way, that he was the thing tying together a lot of very splintered factions that were, frankly, you know, uh, you know, that showed up not only in Ed Klein's reporting at the time, but, you know, you could see it in, you know, in the funeral services here uh, in, in uh, Mission Hill. You've got sort of the Joe Kennedy, the younger Joe Kennedy, now a congressman who's, right. you know, who's, who's emerging. You've got his father. Uh, they, you know, Joe Kennedy II is considered very much split in a lot of ways from Vicki Kennedy, the, the widow of Ted Kennedy. You've got a lot of other branches of the family that are now, you know, sort of emerging separately. You know, so, yeah, I think you're exactly right. There is no Ted Kennedy to pull it all together and, and to draw everybody in line. Ethel's with Elizabeth Warren, right? I think that's right. Uh, yeah. I'm going to feign. Yeah. Let's say Peter it, says so, absolutely. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you, you know, let's say she's a torchbearer, you know, as was Ted. Um, the younger, more pragmatic people are going to be with Hillary. Um, ultimately, the Kennedys being ultimate pragmatists, they'll go with whoever the party has. But like I said, I, I think it's illustrative of, of the two minds of the Democratic Party. Um, the Kennedy family has influence not en masse at has influence all in its various centers of power. Um, the Kennedy family's decentralized, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Um, but I think it is, uh, it, it's significant to show which way the wind is blowing. David Bernstein, let's move on and talk a bit about uh, a post that you have up at your Boston Magazine politics blog, looking at uh, the way that those comments Boston Mayor Marty Walsh made about the probation trial uh, are playing out with members of the Boston City Council. Yeah, I uh, tried to get comments from the various members of the council. Uh, I got two of them uh, to go on the record disagreeing with Marty Walsh. He, of course, went on uh, WGBH radio last week, questioning by Jim Browdy, said... He disagreed with the verdict. He thought that uh, John O'Brien, the head of uh, probation, had not committed any crime. Good guy got caught up in the system. Yeah. Um, and, and I was very critical uh, of those comments, saying that, that it not only you know, failed to appreciate what O'Brien really did uh, over there at probation, but also it was a bad thing for, for a mayor to say. You like were that. extremely critical, and a lot of other people were, too. I think of that I, withering I, of Von Abraham column in The Globe, which is about as tough a piece as you're going to read. And criticized by uh, both the Globe and the Herald editorial boards, uh, which is not all that common. So, so yeah. So, so who I wanted, said they didn't like what the mayor had to say? Uh, Ayanna Presley and uh, Michelle Wu. So they're both running against Marty Walsh. Next uh, well, let's, <laughs> oh no! Here let's, we go. Uh, let, let's uh, not go quite that far. And neither of them, uh, you know, went quite as far in their criticism, certainly of the mayor, than I did or that uh, Yvonne Abraham did. They were mostly just sort of taking issue with his claims about uh, O'Brien and and really wanting to point out that they thought that what O'Brien did was bad and, and was criminal and was fraud and that it you know, shouldn't be countenanced. Uh, then you had Steve Murphy, who went on the record defending, you know, and then you had a lot of counselors, of course, somehow losing my phone number uh, on this one. Uh, but uh, but I think that, that you could look at this, at those names and say that kind of stands for an old guard, new guard in Boston politics in a way. This is a very interesting footnote 
perhaps even a significant footnote. You know, it's been uh, kumbaya in City Hall, and with good reason. You know, you've been, everyone's trying to work together. It's a whole new scene there. We hear the tone is very different under Marty Walsh, yeah. at least thus far. But I, I think we we see here a potential breakout of you know the progressives. I'm the the, the listeners can't see my air quotes here. As I said last week, I don't think most Marty Walsh voters would be overly upset by what he said. Doesn't mean they endorse what he says, but I don't think they'd be overly upset. But progressives are upset by it, and uh, I think the fact that um, those two women counselors spoke up. Um, you, you know, is uh, illustrative of a trend. You know, as you make that point, I'm thinking of a, a piece that Paul McMorrow wrote about the Boston mayor's race. I think for Time.com uh, last year it was an excellent piece in which, among other things, he said that Walsh succeeded or was succeeding because he'd managed to cobble the, together this coalition of people who had absolutely nothing in common other than their intense affection for Marty Walsh. And I'm thinking of, you know, the progressives who, who you mentioned who may not like his statements about proba- uh, probation and corruption, and then the sort of old-school Boston neighborhood types who really won't have a big issue with it. I, I, I'll tell you, there's another group in Boston, many of whom voted for uh, John Conley, and that's what I'd call the reformers. They may be progressive-minded, but socially they're a little more conservative. But the reformers weren't with Marty Walsh. So, you know, they're still on hold in here. This is the progressives sticking their head above the parapets. And I would say that, uh, that for one thing, you are seeing here, I think, a difference in, like you said, the tone and the, the atmosphere in City Hall, where, you know, people actually do feel that they can speak out in at least some criticism of of the mayor, the current mayor, in a way that I think you wouldn't see, you know, five years ago with Tom Menino in that office, you know, that you wouldn't have people on the record saying, oh, I think he's wrong about this. So I think that there's that aspect of it that's legitimate, that there really is a different tone. The people feel like they can disagree on some things and then work together, uh, you know, and, and that the administration is then still going to work together with them on other things. Look at how well they work together on uh, passage of the uh, at the State House of the uh, liquor license thing, which was an Ayanna Presley initiative, uh, and they got it they got it done together, working together. Um, I think that what you're kind of getting at in talking about the different parts of Boston is the danger for Marty Walsh in in this, in in his comments and the way that they came across, is the perception people want to across the city. Many of these different types of people want to see the Marty Walsh who they believed in as the good guy, the guy who gets in there and he's going to basically you know do what's best for people like me. And he's a good guy. He's a guy who helps people out. And that's the sort of the good side of the patronage argument. But this cast him as the insider, the old school, the, hey, you know, the way business is done is by me and people like John O'Brien, you know, Jack and me, you know, taking care of these things behind the scenes. That casts him in a different light that can really harm him in terms of his public image. All right, image. briefly, both of you, how many more mistakes like this does Marty Walsh get before uh, th- that image issue that you're talking about becomes a serious liability? Oh, I think he's a long way from from it being a real big liability. And remember, he's also got, you know, three and a half years left before he has to be up for election again. So, I, I you know, he he just has to be careful which public image he's presenting at any given time. Peter Kansas? 
one big mistake with the BRA is worth, you know, <laughs> 20 mistakes like this. I, I believe that the chattering classes like us care more about the O'Brien thing than the voters at large. All right. With that, we are going to wrap up this week's special Market Basket edition of The Scrum. You can find more from The Scrum in iTunes, so please subscribe. You can also find us on the web at wgbhnews.org slash scrum. Thank you, David Bernstein and Peter Kadzis, for joining me here at the Market Basket in lovely Somerville. My pleasure to be here. And it's hot. It's a little warm. All right. David Bernstein is WGBH's political analyst and a contributing editor at Boston Magazine. Peter Kadzis is senior editor of WGBHnews.org. I'm Adam Riley. Our producer is Abby Ruzica. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. I became so emotional when they ran out of my favorite whole wheat rolls Every employee wants to work But they can't cause the CEO's a jerk Oh, bring back Hardy He is all we need He is love It's like a fox when we're out. You have a whole different energy when you're outside than when you're in the studio.